So were you a Tom? You were not a Tom Petty fan that much. I was not. I had the opportunity to see him too when I went to Bonnaroo, and I did not. Because it was the sun. <laughs> it was the Sunday night. He was the Sunday night. Yeah, that's tough. They, they can't like, stick Tom in the Sunday night slot. And then uh, it was supposed to be Mumford and Sons on Saturday night. Uh, and then the bassist like had some kind of pulmonary issue where he had a heart attack or he was something. A Mumford and Fail Son. Uh, was it Mumford? Couldn't yeah. perform. Yeah. <laughs> Which is most of Mumford and Sons fans. So they like so everyone. I remember the people in the tent next to us were really upset. They're like, I, I was. I, don't know, I should probably not record most of what I was doing at Bonnaroo. But anyway, I was looking to get something at Bonnaroo. <laughs> and, and I was like, hey, do you guys know where I can get this thing? The gold. <laughs> yeah, the gold. Where the gold at? Know where I can find the gold? <laughs> and they, the people at the tent next to me were like, well, we just found out Mumford & Sons won't be playing on Saturday. And I'm like, I do not give a shit. <laughs> that's, not, that's not my priority right here. And now I was like, aren't you disappointed? And I'm like, yeah. More importantly, back to the thing I want. Do you know where that is? And then, um, <laughs> and I like it was like a, I caught them in just such a bad moment where I was like, uh, oh, oh man, I can't tell any of these good Bonnaroo stories on air. <laughs> There's really, there really, I I kind of had a horrible experience at Bonnaroo, but there were some good, like it came out with a lot of good stories. Come see my stand up set. I'll talk. Actually, I may well talk about this in, in my next stand up set. And please don't record it. Yeah. Uh, arguably, the entire problem with Bonnaroo is that it now attracts people that want to go see Mumford and Sons. Um, it's got, yeah, I mean, well, as with all things, they're victims of their own success. Uh, but anyway, I, I was a big, uh, no, I was a big, not huge Petty fan, but it's sad to see him go. I, um, it, the one that hurt the most recently, obviously, was Bowie. I yeah. was like a real big Bowie fan. Yeah. He was kind of, well, but David Bowie, though, had, Everyone knew he was he was sick already. No, yeah. no really. I thought, well, no, he, that one that one was totally a surprise. Interesting. I mean, some I people he, I, knew, he did have I'm cancer sure. though. He just wasn't very public about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure Iman knew it, but um, not anyone else. And not yeah, Tony did, Visconti or anything. Uh, Tom Petty though is, is only 66. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you know he lived fast life though. Uh, that's true. He's running down a drain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's uh, yeah. It, it, the other thing that happened specifically with Tom. Oh, by the way, uh, welcome to Infinity License. Welcome to Infinity License. Um, who are you, who are you? I'm Leonard DeFranco. Oh, Brian. Uh, what's your name? My name is Brian. Pisano. Brian Paisano. Hey, Paisano. I'm feeling uh, Italian today. Here with uh, episode 15 of The License. Um, Welcome back to The License, folks. Yeah, and we're, we're uh, recording this uh, the week uh, in which we lost Tom Petty. And um, it was kind of crazy because not only, you know, you go through the, the emotional turbulence of, you know, shit, now I got to live in the world without this guy who, you know, I, was an artist that I respected and then someone who made a lot of songs that I liked. And um, then it turns out he wasn't dead. Uh, well, the, yeah, you, I, I saw that. This? I saw. Well, the news. I caught up to the news late, where it was like, "No, Tom Petty's not dead. He was rushed, found unconscious, rushed to the hospital." That was what what I had heard. Well, I, that's definitely true, which yeah. often precedes death. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> or at least no, the some, official sometimes you find people unconscious, and they're like, "Oh, I just." I slipped in there. Listen, you watch enough uh, police action videos on YouTube. That's a channel of <laughs> cops shooting people. Oh, and uh, what you learn is that people aren't officially dead in the eyes of society until they're like, you know, broken, lifeless bodies are declared that way by uh, by a hospital. Yeah. So I didn't really take the hospital designation to mean that much. Uh, he later did die. It turns out he just I think he was like brain dead or something. Oh, um, but what's kind of crazy about this event, you know, it happened in, in Malibu. He, he collapsed at, a, at his house. 
by the way, I always like it when when rock stars die right after shows. Like he did just wrapped up a show a couple days ago. Chris Cornell had just played a show, and it yeah, it kind of br- really drives home the event of their death because it not only did they recently die being rock stars, right, uh, but it shows that like the 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 journey from life to death was not a long yeah. process. Yeah. It was dramatic, which is what you wanted to be. They, they left it out on the field and they essentially not dying right on the field, but they they le- <laughs> but they got off the field, high fived, and were like, I'm out. I mean in Chris Cornell's case it was more of a self selective process. They, they had, yeah. It, it's kind of more like a Forrest Gump type getting off the field, but you just keep running and no one else knows where you're going and then you're just out. You know what I was thinking? I mean related to Rockstar is just like Tapping out after a show, certainly going out on top, doing like or going out after you know a full career doing that kind of thing. I was thinking about how in rock stars. It must be the same effect as with you know football players after you score a touchdown or just like win a big game. I'll never know what it's like to have the sensory light up of what the exhilaration of that must be in your brain. Like if you just imagine you just score a big touchdown or you just like crush your Tom Petty, you've been crushing it your whole life, and you just play Madison Square Garden and light it up for all your fans multiple generations of fans and you like what that must do to the sensory inputs in your brain. And you're just like, yeah, <laughs> like, well, like, a lot of these guys have done heroin. So yeah, that, it all, <laughs> it all pales in comparison. to that. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I actually, I disagree. I think that you do know what it's like. I mean, it's all relative, mm. you know, I mean, That's Tom point. Petty playing MSG right now. Well, now it would be really crazy. Cause yeah. he'd, he'd be like Lazarus like, a zombie. <laughs> brought Every time I get a second chance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, he, you know, a week ago, him doing that would have been a relative high. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, a lot of these artists, too, it's, I think, not even so much like a valedictory thing. It's like that they're just comfortable. Yeah. You know, it's more a matter of like, can you find your comfort zone? If you've so been doing guess, it for a yeah. couple of decades, it has more to do with feeling feeling like yourself as opposed to like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm playing in front of all these people. Well, that's, I mean, like heroin, then they, they just get used to that sensory input of just, okay, going out there and crushing it. Even if you're just like, all right, well, I'm used to this. I, I would imagine you'd have to you'd have to continue doing that because it's like, well, now what's what's going to, nothing's going to top what I just did. It did. I just went out there and played like for thousands of people, adoring, screaming fans. And now I just have to continue doing that at infinitum. It would be weird. It would be depressing to be like Eric Clapton, for example, is right around now actually playing his last shows because he's got some sort of debilitating hand problem. Oh, geez. And so it would suck uh, to become someone who, you know, has this, this experience, this expectation of life that you're, playing all the time and then all of a sudden you have to stop then again a lot of these guys also you hear them like they just complain about it constantly like they, yeah. they're sick of playing well because especially i mean in music and comedy and certain other performance which is different than sports because sports you're kind of putting in that like you're playing in a com- competitive game you have to kind of like overcome an, an opponent whereas if you have your set list down and you have just kind of a uh you're like you you know the licks you know how to play all the chords and you know how to play everything and you've like played the shows before and you know all right th- if we set up a show this way it's going to destroy then they're like all right well they're essentially in Groundhog's Day and like they're, yeah they're, it's just the same thing over yeah, and over again it's yeah. the, it's their shtick and yeah uh, but um, no th- I mean it would definitely be cool to be a rock star if that's your <laughs> <laughs> well no my point is it's overrated <laughs> all right yeah I agree with that yeah uh, but was um, what happened with this with the Tom Petty thing was that there was a false report of his death. And um, pretty soon, and actually I found out about it because his daughter started just completely flipping out. Like she started freaking out on social media and she, (laughs) 
Uh, by the way, her uh, her Instagram handle was Dad Lives Matter. <laughs> which is like, Jesus. Oh no! Somebody's gonna have to um, sit her down in a couple months and be here. Let, let's uh, let's let's role play. Role play so right. I'll I'll be um, you be Tom Petty's daughter. Okay. I'll be uh, a well wisher. Hey, uh, Karen. Hey, uh, how's it going? Hey, I know you've had a, a rough. Um, you know, nine months. Uh, yeah, how, are, yeah, are you pulling I, through? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, lost your dad. It's, it's it's not um, it's not been great since dad, uh, since dad died. Yeah, you know, like I really, I I just, you know, I have I've been lucky to have you know support of many friends, and uh, you know, I got a lot of followers on social media, so that's been helpful. Yeah, that's great. Uh, do the uh, about do the social media followers ever talk about anything in particular other than your dad? Like, for example, um, the name that you choose to go by on social media. Um, well, they just tell me about how much, uh, my dad's life mattered meant to them. Right. You know, man, I, I mean like, oh, it was, yeah, I would say my dad's life mattered. Yeah. You know, and and it, okay. I hear that. And yeah. you know, at some point it, it, you know, you got your life has to matter and you're going to have to be around other humans. And when that time comes, you're going to have to change your Instagram handle away from Dad Lives Matter. I only live through the ghost of my father. All right. Well, <laughs> this is probably a pretty accurate. Uh, who are you paying? For, are, are black lives or blue lives paying for my apartment in New York City? No, my dad is. So yeah. he, the name stays. I wonder. That's another thing that I kind of am. I am grateful to have very uh, plain and ordinary parents because I've only been set up to achieve in a way that I can either continue to be plain and ordinary or I don't have to worry about, like, I can su or surpass them or I could go really down into the gutter. I, I can go either direction. As opposed to, like, if you're the, the child of a, you know, a Well, it prodigy, sucks, too, like, if you're like yeah. Jacob Dylan because you kind of have a shot. You, yeah. It's, like, brought into even starker relief how yeah. not your father you are. Yeah. Well, then there's also, like, the case of, like, Donald Sutherland and Kiefer Sutherland or Kiefer, Kiefer yeah, another name that's hard to say, Kiefer Sutherland, who like Kiefer. refused to, he left home at 18 and was like, well, I'm going to achieve in spite of, I'm going to be an actor in spite of my dad. And he did not succeed for a really long time. And then he got 24. They <laughs> then, all then, say that. Then 9-11 happened and he got 24. And that was, everyone's <laughs> like, yeah, we want to watch shows about terrorism now. I mean, off the top of my head, other celebrities that have claimed that they like completely made their own way are Scott Eastwood, which is I'm sure a joke because he looks exactly like Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Um, and supposedly also Clint what Eastwood. is Scott Eastwood in? I don't know what he's That's in. a good point. I think he gets <laughs> yelled at by Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino. Kurt um, Russell admits that he was hugely successful because of his They dad. all were. You yeah. know, Enrique Iglesias has the same myth. Like I didn't, you know, I, I didn't do anything. I didn't throw my name around. Yeah. Although somehow you ended up going by your name, yeah. which is yeah, the son of Julio Iglesias. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I, I assume that's the case. For everyone. I mean, like, do we know if Charlie Sheen used Martin Sheen's name? Uh, Well, what's his name? Estevez didn't. Oh yeah. yeah! So there, there's another. There you yeah, go. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he and was, look who's more successful. Yeah. Emilio Estevez. Emilio Estevez. <laughs> judging by rate of uh, Man, your white blood cell count, poor, yeah, Emilio poor. Estevez is killing it. Uh, poor Charlie. Um, tiger blood. <laughs> tiger remember, blood. Remember when we were all into that in like 2011? Dude, <laughs> I was completely down when when Charlie Sheen lost his mind. I was like, this guy might be the one guy who really knows how to just beat drugs with his mind. Uh, he Let's would, not rule that there possibility was some, there, there were some rumors about when he went, he took the winning like tour on um, the people who were promoting it were just like, they knew it was going to be awful. And it was, I would like, to, there should be a good, really good documentary out there about that because there is like, he has no, he's also completely out of his mind. He's high and, and drunk all the time. And he, 
he doesn't know how to do stand up or anything like this. If like, you took an experienced improv crew on a tour and it was that hastily arranged, it would still suck. Yeah. Let alone if you're taking a like completely right. hitting yeah. hitting rock bottom, scratch it along the surface of rock bottom as we speak. Yeah. Former washed out star along that hastily organized of a tour. It is a guaranteed failure. The reviews from that were like the kind of thing. You know, like sometimes when something's so bad that you want to go see it, and then when it's even worse than that, you're like, oh, God. It wasn't even just so bad. It was good. It was just like, it was just unwatchable. That's how I felt watching that. Whoa, what movie did I recently? I watched Jack Reacher. Oh, man. <laughs> that was like, it wasn't even like some bad movies are bad, but they're entertaining. Like, you know, like The Room or whatever, where it's like, this is bad, but this is really funny and fun to watch. But the Jack Reacher, I was like, this just hurts to watch. And I just had to watch the whole thing because I told John I would watch it. And he was like, yeah, I had to watch this whole thing. And then I'm like, well, I can get through it. And I'm like, <laughs> is that like your uh, project to watch every Jets game? Actually, the Jets are better than I thought. They I know. Hey, yo, J-E-T-S, baby. Giants are 0-4. Jets are 2-2. Two and, two. and the Jets are playing the Browns this weekend, and they're rolling into the Patriots, who are looking kind of weak right now. They're looking kind of soft. God. Man, it would be so great if the Jets were 4-2. Uh, t- in two weeks, you'll hear me you're like, <laughs> the Jets are awful. <laughs> yeah, well, they'll have realized that, yeah. They will return back to um, Anyway, so the thing I wanted to say about uh, Tom Petty was that oh, yeah. um, the it, w- it kind of exposed this weird underbelly of, like, the LAPD, basically. What happened was they, they took him from his house um, to the hospital, and he was basically functionally dead, I think. Uh, they were kind of, yeah. But some police department, somehow some CBS news person or TMZ or whatever got the information from the LAPD that he had died. Oh, really? And so when then there was a few hours that he actually wasn't technically dead and they had to kind of retract it, and the LAPD had to issue a statement saying, um, we were wrong. However, like in the second tweet of second of two, we don't take any responsibility because we're not an investigative organization, right. you know? Yeah. And it's like, this is a really seamy way to kind of expose the, you know, this entire cottage industry of informants that were for the police department that hand stuff over to TMZ for cash. Mm. Uh, just kind of a, a big misfire. It's like if you see a politician getting a kickback in front of you, you know, right, it's right, right. awkward. It's like, see. we all, we all know that's going to happen. It's like, look, we also, what was that movie with Jake Gyllenhaal? Um, and he's like Nightcrawler or whatever. Did you see that? Uh, yeah, no. yeah, he's just like, it's like basically like it's tablet. It's like, he's just becomes this like psychopathic tabloid journalist, but it's like, doing all that kind of stuff, engineering deaths and car accidents and police arrests and all that stuff to videotape. Um, but I don't, I'm not suggesting that's what happened to Tom Petty, but it maybe. Well, <laughs> he's in a, he's in a uh, better place, maybe a worse place. I don't know. He seemed to have a good, good life. I don't know. I think any place other than this plane of existence might be a better place. <laughs> maybe. Well, you know who knows right now if that's the case is the 58 victims of uh, the shooting uh, yeah. uh, that took place in Las Vegas. Um, Brian, are you pro or anti, uh, mass shooting? Uh, it's, I think it's went up to 59 actually oh, as of an hour ago. Uh, I am very anti mass shooting. Uh, not a fan. Uh, do never want to be a participant or recipient in one. Uh, I really don't, I don't care for it. Never liked it. Never, uh, not my taste. Ever since I saw Columbine, I was like, this isn't for me. And Hashtag not my shooting. That was my, my first memory of an American mass shooting growing up. I also I also vehemently reject mass shootings. Um, it was interesting watching the the news emerge from this because I was actually up really late that night. Um, I was I was out. I woke. I fell asleep really early. That's why it was weird. I, I woke up to like, like a whole well, storm. Well, these day. days we're used to just waking up. To yeah, that's fucking a good point. horrible. <laughs> wish, yeah, uh, but um, no, I, I was watching it kind of roll in on CNN.com <clears throat> because uh, I was procrastinating. That's why I was. As we do. 
And um, I, I was watching this come in and, and I was so I was able to kind of consume a lot of like the social media reports. You know, people were oh, like Snapchatting it in, and, and, which is insane, by the way. I mean, people were getting on. Did you see that Dan Bilzerian was there and he was um, no. he was uh, filming. He was like, some girl got shot. This shit was crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was like he was running away from it. And people were like, or actually <laughs> Bristol Palin's uh, husband uh, who's obviously Wait, are they, a cultural are they icon. Or, or I, thought um, he, I thought they got divorced or I thought they got like he was forced to marry her and then they. I think that's a different guy. That's you're thinking of Levi. Uh, uh, what the hell is his name? Yeah. He the guy who posed for um, Playgirl. Yeah. Well, he's the one who. No, different guy. Oh. I think Bristol Palin got married to a different. He, she got married to a Medal of Honor recipient. Yeah. And that's who was tweeting at Levi was no Medal of Honor <laughs> recipient. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, Levi. What the hell is his name? Is more like a Kevin Federline yeah. level uh, cultural uh, figure. But um, he was saying like, you know, you shouldn't run away from, you know, you're fucking. You went through Navy SEAL training. I don't think it was Navy SEAL, but um, you know, you, you. Why would you? Your impulse be to film instead of helping out. But the truth is, a lot of people at the at the shooting were were filming, and they were filming kind of like their their reactions, like. It, it it's the the cultural impulse to, to like film oneself yeah. and while something's going on yeah. is so ingrained that there was literally you yeah. and then and it, well another thing that's interesting was that um in the background you hear a guy say it's, it's an AR it's an AR because of course being that this was a country music yeah. event in Nevada this is a very gun knowledgeable well, crowd also, well this is actually where and I she's looking at the camera being like. Uh, this just is crazy, kids. This is jumping off. Like they're offering takes to social media. It's, it's very surreal to watch. Yeah, I well, actually, I knew it was. I before you said you told me that I was an AR. I called it out in my head because not because of my knowledge of guns and because I'm from a gun state, but because of my knowledge of video games. I saw one of the videos that had the muzzle flashes on it. I'm like, oh yeah, that's the mu-. like I remembered from whatever video game I played growing up. I was like, oh, that's a muzzle flash from the uh, from the AR-15. And then when they, so it was like it was kind of like wow. I video at least video game technology is pretty accurate. <laughs> um, but it was like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I could tell that's a uh, clob. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, what was the one that RC, uh, it was an RCP 90 RCP 90. Yeah. yeah. It shot out half laser, half mercury bullets, whatever yeah, yeah. the fuck that was. Uh, classic golden eye. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was very surreal. It was, uh, it was upsetting to wake up to and, and see, uh, happen. And obviously, you know, I, I don't know, uh, I am still very much going through what I think about this, this whole thing. I mean, obviously I think mass shootings are horrible and all that stuff. I'm just thinking that I also spent about 20 minutes today cause I'm like, I have to hear what Alex Jones has to say. Uh, because I know that he, cause he, the second I, I was like, I know that I'm going to be the anti-gun person and I have to hear what the people who are so vehemently pro gun pro rights, um, pro-gun rights uh, advocacy are, and it was not, like, he instantly, it is kind of makes me realize that how, I knew that Alex Jones has always been, like, not a real journalist and not a person who would ever ta- have any journalistic integrity or anything like that, but, uh, and you're smiling at me, but. <laughs> you take that back! Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> what are you, a goblin? Uh, and, yeah, and Alex, I am a goblin. And I, he was just instantly, he's like, look, I heard from a source, from a friend, from a source that this is actually an Antifa Islam Antifa. He's double Antifa directly. He, oh, he was so close to saying like, this guy was funded by George Soros and he didn't, but I'm like, dude, you You might as well at that point. I I know. That's the thing is like, he goes so hard into these things. And even the guy he had on as his guest, who was a huge gun rights advocacy person was like, I'm not willing to sign on to like I won't go on record agreeing with you on that front because it's like the second all these people like you said you're watching this come in on live stream did you see people instantly go 
see, this is totally ISIS. This is a total ISIS move right away. Because that's what like, a lot of people said. Like, I saw a lot of people commenting instantly, like, on the underneath or sub uh, commenting on the, you know, the breaking stories on mainstream media sites, CNN, CBS, wherever. Oh, they're like, problem. oh, yeah, it was like, yeah, yeah they're, they're like, they're like instantly, they're like, oh, this is ISIS for sure. Like, this is why the, ju- like, people are just looking to justify. And they, I mean, they might have been bots. They might have been real people like commenting. It was, it was too many to tell, but still. I actually yeah. didn't get the sense as it was rolling in that it was ISIS because it seemed like such a random target. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, if it were ISIS, it would have. I mean, if if this happened in Grand Central Station, I would have been a little bit more like, "Oh man, we're under attack again." Yeah. But um, it just. I mean, the you know, it 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 it's just a crazy guy, and and the here here's my my passionate feeling about um, aside from the gun issue because the gun the idea of what to do with guns is um, a separate issue from what I'm about to say. Which is that I I really reject the idea that there's a lot of people like David Letterman, for example, tweeted, um, you know, end white privilege. This man is not a lone wolf. He wasn't just, you know, uh, he was a terrorist. And we need to label him as such. And I was kind of like, no, he's not a terrorist. Yeah. Like, j- I understand the impulse to want to call, to, to want to il- eliminate the... Um, inoculation that white people have from being labeled terrorists, but it has to be appropriate. Like, well, yeah, like here, here are people that are, I can name white terrorists off the top of my head right away. Timothy McVeigh, uh, Dylan Roof, Roof. the the KKK, the guy who shot up the Sikh temple, the guy who flew his fucking like Learjet into into the the IRS. IRS I think it was just a Cessna. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't as cool as a, as a Learjet. Corey Liddell. Yeah. But like, yeah, Ted Kaczynski, these are all terrorists because they have an ideological angle. They, whether they're part of a network of militia or a network of people wanting to advance either left wing or right, far left wing or far right wing politics and looking to advance it via means of violence and intimidation. That's like what terrorism is. Yeah. And you have to, and, and, and it's, it's, and so the, and then, or the other, or, you know, there's many ways to cause mass murder. There's, there's uh, criminal negligence. You know, if you build something that collapses on people, you could yeah, have been like an organizer of Grenfell 99. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Grenfell. T- yeah, I mean that's Grenfell Woodstock 99. Obviously, well, I mean Fred Durst. Then by that definition, is a terror or is a cri- criminally ne- negligent person. Um, yeah, and and like you know the the reason to to draw this distinction is not just to try to protect white people, uh, but because the what, the recourse that you have to the problem is different. So. Um, obviously we're used to like mental health being a canard that people who don't want to blame guns uh, and there are very easy access to guns for uh, massacres resort to. Um, but the truth is like terrorism is a different, is a completely different vector towards, uh, ho- you know, horror than someone who like goes postal on their coworker. Um, terrorism is something that you can plan ahead for. It's something that even if you're in an anti-gun uh, you know, country like uh, the UK, if you're trying to shoot up an Ariana Grande concert, no. or if you're trying to shoot up Charlie Hebdo, um, you know, terrorism means you're going to have like a separate timeline, a, a non-incidental timeline. Um, you can, uh, you're just going to think it through. There's more likelihood of conspiracy. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it's attacked through a different vector. The other thing is it doesn't require guns. I think that one of the crazy, you can use, a, a you know, achieve similar psychological results with a pressure cooker or something. Or a chemical weapon or like, you know, anthrax or something. Totally. Like you don't even have to have it be a fatal attack. You, yeah. you know, t- terrorism just is so different of a type of threat. Um, well, it's, yeah. And, and it, it's, it's more sensationalistic. 
And, uh, you know, I've heard people say, like, the reason that we don't call it this is because America's gotten used to, to gun violence, but we haven't gotten used to terrorism, and we will stop at nothing to root out terrorism and stuff. And it's like, yeah, but you still have to, I mean, what is the solution to this guy? Like, the, I think that actually the implication of labeling it correctly um, helps the gun control agenda. And the reason is because terrorism is something that, that like I said, with Charlie Hebdo, with uh, Ariana Grande, with, you know, they're going to get guns no matter what. Those are the, the argument that people are going to find a way to get guns is most applicable when it is terrorism because then they have time to plan and all this stuff, more people involved. Right. Or you could point to, I mean, look at what happened in France. Look at the Charlie Hebdo incident. Yeah. France is illegal, uh, you know, a firearm, like illegal automatic weapons. And they still yeah. yeah, Yeah. But... But when you have when you're talking about lone wolves who had some sort of you know like the guy in the watchtower or the clock tower of you know Texas Charles Whitman yeah he had a, a tumor pressing his yeah, amygdala or and yeah. then there you know there's or and there's he also wrote who went a, off I'm curious medication think, oh, sorry. the yeah, yeah. the um in those cases uh those are the people who are like Adam Lanza those are the people who you know, if you make guns like 15% harder to get, you're going to knock out, you deter like 80% of them. Right. So it precisely is not the terrorists. It's like the universe of mass shooters that's ex external to terrorism are the ones that that gun regulation is going to actually help prevent. So I think the people that are in charge, that are proponents of gun control should embrace the idea of labeling these kinds of atrocities accurately because it's going to help your case. Yeah. I, I, and I don't understand. And actually, like, I'm not, I'm not a vehemently anti anti-gun person i think that like i think that sensible gun control can happen i don't think that and i also don't think people there's any reason for anybody to have semi-automatic automatic weapons legally and you can go to a gun show and just buy those so i'm for sensible regulation i'm for like registrations background checks all that kind of stuff i'm not for just like blanket taking your guns away but the second that people hear registration or whatever like the, the same people that are hearing it and it's actually people i was watching today on both the far right and far left wing like me like uh channels on Twitter and, and Reddit, um, there was actually a lot of infighting between, especially on the left too, I saw that there's some left wing people that are like, no, that also go hard on the the argument about how the second amendment is there to protect you from, from tyranny and our right to own guns. There are like, left wing people that yeah, say that. Yeah, I, I was reading a lot of like, which is, which surprised me, but then I was like, well, actually it's like, they're like, this is our only defense against police violence. So it was, and I guess in the Overton window or horseshoe theory or whatever you want to talk about where it's like, well, that's an issue where both far right and some far left wing people kind of met and, met on. Um, I don't know. It was kind of interesting. I, I mean, I, a, yeah. I've heard before. Well, first of all, if you're super far left, then you probably believe in a fantasy world in general. So maybe that, you know, that's the same level of uh, well, I think super far right people do. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> dude. No, 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 I think anyone to an extreme. Like yeah. That, but well, I mean, yeah. one of the, you know, the people that are super far right that want to oppose tyranny uh, from our existing government by having, you know, an unlimited, like a Waco style supply of weapons are idiots. I mean, there, we, we have a, a bomb that we could drop on, you know, the, that doesn't even detonate that could basically destroy the earth. I mean, yeah. there's no way yeah. that you're going to, you know, like it, it's, it's a non-starter argument. It's a stupid argument. The idea that, that guns oppose tyranny is, is not going to work. Um, but uh, I, I actually know someone who is, um, uh, he's a lifelong member of the NRA, and he's one of the most liberal, like, radical people that I know. And he's an older guy, and I asked him, how can you reconcile this? And he said, first of all, the, the immediate answer why I'm a lifetime member of the NRA is that I signed up when it was a, a sporting club. Right. Yeah. And it completely radically changed in the 80s. But that also, it's worth noting that in most societies on Earth, um, gun rights are a leftist issue because it is opposing tyranny it's right. a very populist thing and yeah. populism tends to be 
more, you know, equated with the left. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but, you know, and this, this is just an example of how, you know, uh, the measures that yield freedom for other communities don't do it for us. It's why when an Occupy Wall Street wants to go pretend like they're in Tahrir Square, it's like, dude, you're not in Tahrir Square. You can yeah. vote for someone if you want. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think this guy, Stephen Paddock, is, is a... Was like a Charles Charles Whitman kind of person, where he just had a tumor that was pressing on the wrong. Because the Charles Whitman is like an interesting case in neuroscience and all that stuff, where it was just like he wrote a letter saying, uh, "I know there's something wrong with me. I'm about to do something." He had horrible. CTE. Yeah, <laughs> playing Texas high school football. Yeah, um, and like he wrote a letter. It's like I know there's something wrong with me. I'm about to do something horrible. I have no control over it. Uh, please examine my brain and preserve my brain. The only reason why I don't think this is a Charles Whitman scenario is because he purposely went down. Like he's suicided by cop. Because he was like, I want, or I'll take the chances that I'm not going to blow my own brains out. And I want them kind of similar to, was it Junior Seau, who, who like, who shot themselves in the chest? Because and they were like, Dave Durson. Yeah, yeah Dave. They were like, okay, preserve my brain. Because please just like make sure you just. But he killed yeah. himself. Charles Whitman did? No, this no. guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This, that's what I'm saying. I don't think, that's why I don't think it is. At first, I was like, that was my immediate instinct was, I was like, this is the same thing as the University of Texas Austin shooting. But I don't, because he killed himself, I don't think. Uh, he could have he could have known that and just been ant, been like nah, I don't really give a fuck. Yeah, just, <laughs> I'm gonna be checked out of like here. A, and yeah, I guess with me. it's just trying to measure somebody who clearly had something wrong with him. Uh, I guess though, then too that that goes to the point of do you think it's worth discussing? Is it? I mean, people who make the mental illness argument though could then make the next argument that like, well, terrorism might be a form of mental illness if you're if you're activated to the point of where you can like actually struggle against. Uh, you know, in in a in a free and liberal democratic society where you do, and this, this guy looks, it seems like he had every resource available to him. He was a, he's a semi, he had a comfortable home. It seems like he had a lot of money. He owned two planes and a pilot's license. I mean, it sounds like kind of a a dream scenario, <laughs> and then just went went around and gambled all the time, and still happened to. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know. I'm not going to yeah. diagnose what was wrong with it. To the, yeah. you know, I, I clearly something was. I mean, I, we're not supposed to say like he was crazy because I think partly because it's seen as like denigrating it, it, it to mental illness, yeah. but also because it's is very inexact. Yeah. But the reason we have epithets like that is because I don't know, like for exactly the situation right now, like at this point in time, I don't know what was wrong with him. Yeah. I don't think it was an ISIS sympathizer. I don't think it was attribute attributable to any kind of uh, change that he wanted to see in the world. I think he just snapped somehow, and this is something that happens, and this is something that happens, and this is what I'm getting back to the point about how if you're willing to call this guy like quote unquote lone wolf, you bolster the gun control argument is because this, whatever happened to Stephen Paddock happens to people all the time all over the yeah. world. The problem yeah. is, or the difference is, they don't have access to guns. Right. So it it helps the idea that you can prevent this by saying that yeah, some people just go like that. Um, whether terrorism it is a kind of mental illness, I mean, that's like a pretty abstruse, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I would say no. I think that there's, um, I was listening, you know, I was listening to, um, that, uh, Dan Carlin podcast where yeah. he talks about, um, Gavriel Princep, who was the guy who yeah. shot Franz yeah. Ferdinand. Mm -hmm. The black and, hand. Yeah, he was, a bit, well, exactly. He was a member of a, a large conspiracy. And, uh, the whole point that, that he tries to make in that podcast is that this is one man who changed the course of history. And it's like, well, you're except for you're ignoring that you know he was part of a conspiracy and there's probably a lot of rational reasons they had to oppose you know this colonialism yeah and he he was so, essentially he was the one man who 
It was like the matchstick, and then the the hand, the black hand moving him was like yeah. the one that was moving it. Across also, and the, then like uh, the causes of World War One had been like brewing for like literally hundreds of years in Europe. Right. I mean, like it's it's so it's so reductionist to say that. So my point is, I'm I'm saying that by way of saying I think that uh, terrorism in general is, um, you know, terrorism me is is sort of one manifestation of a or it's one decision made by a, a, a politic group right and that po- that those politics come from some sort of cause right um so no i don't think it's attributable well to i mean like but in the in the modern age you can look at like the the san bernardino people who were essentially not directly activated by isis but were inspired by and moved like mood motivated by you know it's possible we, you know i don't have all the fbi documentation on what actually happened if they were actually communicated with and, and fed weapons by by any terrorist sympathizing groups uh, but they, uh, you know, they obtained weapons illegally. It's okay, a case where, the, and, and they were activated by essentially YouTube channels. I think of uh, of ISIS videos and stuff like that. So it's like kind of, I mean, that's that's the politic essentially enabling them via social media. No, it's a fair it's a fair yeah. point. In other yeah. words, if you have a lone wolf who wants to affect a political change, right. is that not terrorism? I mean, uh, a I, Lee Harvey Oswald, if you will, that'll that'll be another podcast. That'll be yeah, that'll be a, that'll be a, a, <laughs> yeah. a Dan Carlin style six hour podcast yeah. where we just get drunk and talk about the Kennedy assassination. Oh, can we do that? Yes, yes. we can. Yes, that's a Christmas special, and we're gonna release it <laughs> like trapped in the closet style, like thirteen minutes at a time. Oh yeah, um, well, that could be a good Thanksgiving episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll come to I'll come to your house. Yeah, Thanksgiving. You can, Cancel my flight home. Yeah, don't go to Chicago. It's dumb. Yeah, I will. Um, I think that you could argue like you have to be brainwashed to some degree to think that it's right to kill other people, right? Yeah. So that, that, you know, is that a kind of mental illness? Mm. Um, I think that if something is, uh, it, it comes down to, is, are, is this going to help you find a solution, right? Yeah. For example, gun control solves the issue of whether you're trying to hurt people for a political end or a chemical imbalance cause mm-hmm. it's going to be harder if you have to go through a background check that right. hopefully would flag one of these things. Right. So gun control is, is kind of uh, something that should be passed regardless of just, you know, stop both terrorism and one off um, lone wolf attacks. And by the way, by the way, it's worth saying it is mind blowing to me that the two paths of gun violence as we're used to it and terrorism have not fully melded by this point. Yeah. I mean, in retro, like at some point, terrorists are going to get the idea that you can just, I mean, Al-Qaeda famously had in, in their guide, just like, hey, it's legal in this country to own guns. Please stock up because then you can shoot. Yeah. And the privilege that we have of not seeing gun violence as equal to terrorism, to like Islamic terrorism, is just because they haven't done that much of it. Right. You know, if they were to start doing it, then all of a sudden the, the conversation around gun control would change. You'd see a lot more sort of nativist opposition to uh, actually, I don't know. It'd be interesting. It would be a miserable, miserable but interesting thing to see if, like, there be there emerged a, a, just a trend of like just jihadi violence. Well, and that's what I'm wondering. Maybe they they think if they if there were Islamic terrorists, people like uh, ISIS or other uh, Islamic terrorist groups, or uh, if they're all kind of in it, they're like, well, we don't want to. This could actually spoil it for us if, like, we we don't want to we don't want to move the football that far forward ahead because if we do then we're like well then our easy access to you know i don't know if then it would well yeah i I mean there's the whole point of terrorism is that there's no uh limit to the ways that you could commit it you know i mean it's you could do it online you could do it psychologically you know um i think that the uh 
the 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 reason why we feel like we have to so okay so I, I mentioned that like David Letterman tweeted you know end white privilege why is it that we associate terror the failure to call a white man a terrorist with white privilege I think that it comes down and I, I'm not saying like I don't have really an argument here I'm just trying to analyze it I think it's because terrorism implies this sort of attack yeah. on the society as opposed to an attack on specific individuals that were like unfortunately the victims in the right, right place yeah. and so there the, terrorism uh, require since it's it's the the body of people that's under attack as opposed to the specific victims uh, it's incumbent on the body to respond and so um, you know it's an external attack it's, it's just an yeah. externalizing effect and so when there's a white person that does it and we live in a society in a civil society that is dominated by you know white voices white people understand oh it, that we feel comfortable saying oh this is an anomaly I already know what you know there's no uh, cultural relativism it's yeah you, you can look and say oh this person was an anomaly yeah timothy mcveigh uh or you know like uh Ted Kaczynski, we yeah. know the environment th- that they came from th- we don't have to do any yeah. work to, to say yeah. this is not a threat and so i think that the my, my actually my point that i'm making is that um it is a kind it's kind of like white privilege uh to say that to to, to prevent to the fact that we traditionally don't label white people terrorists and we definitely should in the case of like racial violence or like again the guys shooting up the Sikh temple those are absolutely terrorists but the reason is because white civil society traditionally sees itself as uh you know that that's where the dominant narrative comes from and so when someone from there does it it's more like an aberration uh than someone who's a grieving upon you and so uh calling the guy who shot up a Sikh temple a terrorist what that is actually doing is showing that the Sikhs in Wisconsin were actually part of what we are, you know, the the, yeah, the source of, our, yeah, of the of the yeah. of the of the of the person labeling him as a terrorist. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Well, and now think reflecting back on Ted Kaczynski too. Ted Kaczynski might be the case, the first case of a uh, white terrorist being radicalized by the CIA, as opposed to be, <laughs> the CIA radicalizing Islamic terrorists. Um, you know, you know the whole story behind Ted Kaczynski. No, no. Okay. Uh, so Ted Kaczynski was so Ted Kaczynski was a math wonderkind for at, at Harvard from Evergreen Park, Illinois. Yeah, and, and he was he was a genius. Like he was on track to be. He was a. Uh, I think he was. He had his PhD by the time he was twenty two. He was like very far advanced in in um, advanced mathematics. Uh, the CIA, so he was doing a thesis, I think, at Harvard, and the CIA was running an MK Ultra program. They were like, "Hey, I wonder if we can take the smartest people in our society and mess with them to the point of like where we can." like make them doubt their current beliefs like basically essentially testing whether they can just gaslight them yeah yeah ga- essentially gaslight them into becoming like double agents or just second guessing like their truest truest beliefs so they 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 took him the CIA took him into a room into a, in a, and were like yeah no this your thesis is wrong like your mathematic pr- proofs are completely wrong we've checked this with every like other experimental uh, mathematician in the world He's like, no, they're right. I know they're right. Like, I, I'm very good at this. Trust me. I'm like, no, they're wrong. Sorry. And then like that, that, and they obviously berated him a lot more and did it to the point of where it drove him insane. And he went out in the woods. And then the next thing, you know, a couple of years later, you're getting it like, yeah. But it was, it's, it's on. It's part of Freedom of Information Act files. It's, it's a, it's an actual like. It's not. This is not Brian like hairbrained conspiracy thing. It's like MK Ultra release files. It's like, oh yeah, we had Ted Kaczynski was a participant. Hey, I guess it worked then, right? I mean, yeah, did yeah. they declare the experiment a success? Or yeah, no? I, I mean, they did a lot of things. I don't know if they gave him any LSD or anything like that too, though. That's uh, that might have been redacted from the study, but that was. You know what's yeah. funny about that is that the only thing I knew about him was I think it said that it was quote unquote a morally or an ethically question study 
As opposed to a completely unethical, like, oh, yeah. how the fuck could you do this to, like, a 16-year-old kid It study? was the guys who read about the Stanford prison experiment were like, hey, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> like, they, like, that's the same. They're like, hey, we could get a lot of, we get a lot of mileage out of stuff like that. The 60s were a great time for, like, un- unethical um, motives in academic science. <laughs> you know what else the 60s were a great time for? Political protest. Hell yeah. <laughs> and uh, we didn't want to talk about this, but we've been conscripted. So uh, we, we uh, here, here, let's uh, just play a clip of uh, NBA commissioner Adam Silver talking about the protests. We have a rule that requires our players to stand for the anthem. It's been our rule as long as I've been involved with the league. And my expectation is that our, our players will continue to stand. It's disheartening to me to see so much disunity in our society. I think that sports historically and in the NBA in particular has been a unifying force. And while there's always been disagreements in society, sports arenas have been places where people from all walks of life have come together and for a common experience. And when it comes to political disagreements, I would hope that we, the league, together with our players can play a constructive role in bringing people together. As Coach Popovich said the other day, people need to engage and have these discussions, and they're not always easy discussions to have. Sometimes they are painful discussions. One, two, three. Nationalized conversation. Conversation, conversation. <laughs> Make it national. <laughs> it's, it, it's happening. Uh, we have a, this is a segment called Nationalized Conversation, brought to you by Meineke. Meineke, George Foreman knew about him. Um, oh, hold on. Before we talk into can I also talk about the one thing that I learned from Alex Jones' show today where I do want to talk about? This. Okay, so the one other thing I noticed in the Alex Jones show today since the last time you and I were avid watchers of the Alex Jones show is that all the sponsorships have gotten insanely good, but they're all like so like the the film quality on the commercials are really good. So it's like really high quality what you would see on TV, like what you'd see on a Colgate commercial or like a a high quality Madison Avenue branded commercial. But they're all for like Alex Jones, cra- like crazy stuff where it's like not unfluoridated toothpaste. You know, make sure you don't get your unfluoridated <laughs> toothpaste here. And I mean, if you look at the fa- like, it costs very little to make cinematic quality stuff. Now. I know that's what I was just, but I was like watching it. And I'm like, wow, the difference between this, the margin between this and like what you would see on a nationalized broadcast is so close. And there was all this crazy stuff that he's just peddling. And I'm like, oh my God. And it's like, it's like almost shot in the, it's like, that has the typical, like stereotypical archetypal mom who's like, I care about my kids. That's why I give them the unfluoridated toothpaste and these sugar pills that make their brain go good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that might uh, that might be more of an artifact of just the lowering cost of quality footage, you know? Yeah. Then I no, mean, it, I could shoot totally like I, I could shoot a pretty good looking thing on my iPhone. I know, but it was just it was it was weird and uncanny to see it in that kind of film quality and listen to it with like that kind of video in sound production. What I've noticed about Alex Jones recently is that, um, he is so much a creature of TV now. Yeah. Like he just looks straight unblinkingly at the camera. Um, he, you know, he used to be just like some schlub in a a studio who was just mostly like staring autistically at his mic, uh, (laughs) and shouting into it. But now he's looking autistically straight in at you 
and uh, it's I, he's on the radio, I assume, still, but like he's clearly, clearly a, he's, a viral called, internet guy now. Yeah, he calls it the well, he uses his YouTube channel as his radio or whatever, too. But also, the last thing about that is he claims to have lost 30 pounds, but I'm like, dude, you look hard, you need to lose 30 more pounds. He did not lose, yeah, 30. <laughs> you know, yeah, he might have, he found it again if he lost it. All right, um, Let's anyway, so uh, one, two, three, nationalized conversation, conversation. conversation. <laughs> so, we this is a uh, topic that is. Probably, so we're talking about uh, just the general like kneeling in the NFL and stuff. It's kind of an old topic at this point, but uh, again, we've been conscripted into the nationalized conversation. We it wasn't our choice. Um, we're committed to having the dialogue that uh, everyone else, <laughs> that no one else wants to, and also everyone is having. Uh, I think, Brian, this whole kneeling before football games thing is possibly the dumbest story that I can remember aside from anything specifically Trump related. What do you think? It. It's been the dumbest story in a while, and it's also particularly... It got even... I think it got dumber. It's part of the story, but when I saw people starting to light their NFL jerseys on fire, that's when it That's when it escalated. I think for me, that was when it went from, okay, we're all losing our, our damn... But it is Trump-related because it got. It was escalated by Trump. Yeah, right? it is. Yeah, but like, I, Well, it's Trump-related in the sense that, first of all, fuck those people. If you want to burn a $500 jacket, you're just doing it for the gram. You're going to watch Sunday anyway. It's, it's free. I know. They literally... When, <laughs> NFL football for the team in your area is a free thing that people actually want. There's no way they're going to stop watching it. And the NFL sucks, all yeah. right? The NFL already sucks for the for, by dint of the, you know, d- penalizing, you know, people don't know what the catches are. And I don't, no fun league. Yeah. Don't get me started on, on why the NFL sucks uh, these days. But um, also, there have been a lot of injuries. Have you noticed that? Yeah. We, um, I have noticed, I and I, I tried to get, get stats for it, and it was kind of tough to track down. Um, and I don't know if it's just that players... I don't know if it's that the players that we have... I think this might be... I thought about this. The reason why it might be just us, because we have less time to dedicate to like following football than we did in like college, maybe, that the players that we know are just getting older. Like, you know, the, my, <laughs> the, the time... The, the amount of time I can spend on football. So the people that are fresh in my memory as being like the more... Uh, the more or the better players are getting older, so they're more vulnerable to injuries. So, now. like, but I'm like a Matt Forte fan, and like he's injured he's out, right now, yeah. kind of. And he paved the way for Bilal Pal to have a career day, and I forgot to start him on my fantasy <laughs> team. Uh, that's an interesting theory. Um, I mean, I feel like there's been a lot of quarterbacks that have gone down. There's been a lot of a lot of just a lot of injuries. I mean, a lot of injury ravaged teams. I don't know. I'm sure that's a, an aside. Um, but uh, it, it, it is Trump related in the sense that the, the president, uh, the instigator that he is, uh, you know, tweeted about it. He, he, he's tweeted about it. He's, he said the thing at that rally. Um, but I think more to the point, the way that I'm regarding all this is that it was in a, in a society uh, in which everything is becoming so politicized. It's inevitable. And, and especially it's one that's as racist as ours. It's inevitable that you're going to have the specter of. A, like it's impossible to keep a entirely black sport that's consumed by a very white and a very conservative male kind of chauvinist audience yeah. that you're not going to have those two um, uh, sort of falls of gravity yeah, yeah split like it, they're, yeah. They're, it was due for a split like yeah uh, you know the reason Trump happened uh, in the first place is partly because we're a very fractured society and things are so partisan and um, you know, like in that environment, it was really a, only a ticking time bomb before right. you have the mostly like old white guy audience of the NFL just fall out of favor with the young black athletes. Yeah. Well, do you think then, so back to why Adam Silver called for this though, do you think though, so now transferring over to the, the NBA, which is a league that is consumed, that is mostly black players, but also consume 
largely hugely by the uh, black population and the white population. And you'd say like the white population, that's more the a younger crowd. of white Yeah, people. definitely younger demographic. Um, yeah. So like, do you think, but he was insistent on no players also kneeling during, uh, like, I don't think he was insistent. He just said, he's trying to avoid the issue. He, he did, a, he made a misstep. I think he's doing a stupid thing. And he's he, like, I mean, especially for Adam Silver, he's been the, the commissioner to make the least missteps, I think in the history of, uh, uh, you do you know, think Adam Silver grew up a basketball fan. Yeah, he did. He was a huge basketball fan. He, he was, he was from, I think, he uh, he's from Westchester too, I think, or he lived in West. He was a big Knicks fan growing up. Yeah, <laughs> so that's why the Knicks are still bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, and not the Dolans. Not not no. Dolans. It's not the Dolans. It's definitely not the Dolans. It's the it's Adam Silver's fandom as a child of the Knicks. <laughs> Um, no, but I think that he, you know, the same way the NBA imposed a dress code, um, and, uh, you know, the, I, I think that there's a little bit, a little bit more of maybe like a, uh, patriarchal, um, yeah. paternalistic kind of, uh, idea that they have. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think that's why he's saying it. And it's a bad decision because, uh, the NBA should be a league because it is, um, obviously the racial demographics of the players, but also the consumptive audience of it is probably skewing towards people who are okay with Colin Kaepernick style protests. Yeah. Um, and, uh, value sports as an arena to air it. Um, and, uh, and so he, he's making, I, I, I'm sure there's gonna be people that are going to buck him and they should fuck. Him. I mean, he, he, he shouldn't have the right to say that. I mean, um, yeah, my, my main, my main critique of all this is not with the protests themselves. My main critique of it is that it, it's the same way I felt when Colin Kaepernick started doing it. It's like, dude, you may have a point. I think that the point could probably be communicated a little clearer. Uh, it's to me the problem with it is that it's very rooted in conversation logic, which really doesn't have like a tangible outcome or goal. But um, fine, you're making the you're making your your feelings known. The problem is the NFL is in sports is such a bad. It's so incapable of handling any kind of nuanced dialogue. The reason why the NFL has immediately reacted. Uh, to to this by saying this is an affront against the flag and the, the troops is not be it, it's because <laughs> you wouldn't expect anything higher order. Hold on, though. The NFL hasn't said that. The uh, that Trump has said that. Uh, the Roger Goodell came out with a really lame statement about how we stand by all our players' decisions to do whatever. And also, I kind of disagree with you. I think that yeah, it is like. Um, I think Colin, I, I, I fully support what Colin Kaepernick is, is doing. I think it's it's not maybe not. There's no best way to do any of this, and he's he's clearly forced us to have a conversation about uh, a nationalized conversation uh, about police violence and what's going on. The thing that pisses me off about this is that it, it distracted from like they're like no, they're unpatriotic. I'm like no, this is just something that was done. Uh, people didn't even notice when he was doing it at first. Also, I'm pissed off because I think if Colin Kaepernick were on the Jets right now they would be really actually contenders for the playoffs. <laughs> Josh McCown, he had a, a couple of good games, but I think I would really want Colin Kaepernick to, to be on the Jets. So I'm I, kind of upset that they, but we're never going to have him because Woody Johnson is super Trump supporter. Anyway, so my so bastard of the UK right now. I know he paid, he got, he, uh, he paid that Trump money and he got to go to the cushiest, uh, ambassador job, which would also be hilarious if the UK somehow gets Jeremy Corbyn as prime minister. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn's got like, be like, who are you? <laughs> like, why do I have to talk to this, this weirdo who owns a, uh, Funniest a, name in sports, by the way, Woody, Woody Johnson. Johnson. It's yeah. almost as good as Randy Johnson, or I guess better. Yeah. Um, I but, think, uh, well, wait, uh, just to address the point that you made. Um, it, no, it, it's not It's not at all anti-patriotic. I mean, the whole, the, like, the easiest response to the, the knee is the dishonor to the troops is just simply the history of the fact that he took a knee because that's, it's emulate, it's it's in, uh, it's homage to the, the stance that, um, 
like fallen soldiers, widows, you know, are presented the flag in. Like yeah. it's a way to honor specifically the troops while showing some sort of conscientious dissent. Right. I mean, it, it, it the the act of taking a knee is itself almost overtly a, a respectful de, uh, deferential move to the troops. Right. So I, I'm not saying that at all. Yeah. I'm saying that I think that choosing the NFL for a venue, it, it's like I'm I'm actually glad to see a little bit of reality injected into sports, but. You know, it's just not capable of handling. And and your point originally that you made was that well, the NFL didn't say it. You're right. I'm not talking about the league. I'm talking about the general societal specter yeah. of the oh, NFL. Oh yeah, it's not well. It's not capable from both sides. I think Colin Kaepernick. I can defend him for doing it because that's his really his only platform. And if he wants to do that, and he has a platform to do it, you know, sports. I mean, as much as people say like to say keep sports out of politics and all that stuff. Look, I disagree with that wholeheartedly too. Sports have always been a part of politics. Look at look at anything. There's a great quote. I implore you to look it up about uh, people asked Jackie Robinson how he felt about like standing for the national anthem during the world series and you know I, you can just read it because it was just very moving words everyone in america would unanimously agree that jackie robinson is an american hero was a great player was jeered and and call, called horrible things in his playing career and still like overcame them and was one of the best players of all time that was a case in baseball where it was breaking down the color line and that was certainly a case where sports intersected with politics and i think we've actually had sports and politics divorced for a while and now they're kind of coming back together in a time to your point about it now we're just living in such a fractured bipartisan politic that we thought we had transcended but actually now it's this bifurcation has come back and come back in the form of sports because they're like well we we have an integrated society now but there's still lingering issues of race and politics that we have to deal with and so that's I think that's the issue I think that's why people are like well keep your politics out of my sports I'm like no I you can't it's it's part of the thing it's part of and it's like look when I think people are losing their minds about it too because NFL is part of the circuses and bread man like and when the circuses and bread all of a sudden bleeds into like hey well actually it's something that's affecting your life or affecting our lives or the players' lives or whatever it may be, then it, we all have to have it. We all have to see what's, have that conversation and see what's going on and talk about it and at least sort it out in society. Yeah, I mean, the, the NFL and, and sports in general is intended to be an escapist consumer pleasure, and there's just fewer and fewer areas where you can't escape now. And I think that that's a good thing. I'm not saying that Colin Kaepernick, again, shouldn't have done it. I'm saying that watching the football community try to grapple with the nuances of police yeah. brutality have been like watching a really dumb friend of yours get dragged into a political debate at dinner and you're like, fuck, I got to sit here and listen to all this. You oh, know, no, that is the worst feeling. <laughs> like, yeah. It, or like a really dumb, like relative of yours, just like start to weigh, just like, just cut it, into an issue. And you're like, oh, shit. is it worse to be on the sideline for that? Or is it worse to be the participant in that? And I think, and what are we, we're on the side, you and I are. Well, uh, we're having a podcast about it right now. That's I mean, true. Like, so now we're participating. Yeah, we're participating. I, th I think it's an important discussion. I mean, listen, talking about police brutality is an important discussion. All of it is. And, and in terms of the, your right to do it and, you know, the fact that people are exercising, um, you know, their civic rights to it's all great. I'm just saying, like, I'm kind of rolling my eyes smugly at it. The idea being that, like, this is the say, equating um, something that is an overtly deferential uh, uh, action to the troops with a smack to against the troops is basically the best that you can expect of of like the f average football fans comprehension of yeah. like racial, the racial injustice of this country. Yeah. It drives me nuts too. Cause I'm a person, Hey, I actually like, and I love the national anthem. I think it's one of my favorite parts of a baseball game. I love to get to the baseball game really. And it's my favorite song. It's my favorite song. I play it all the time on Spotify. It's the only song I play. Um, but at the same time, 
I don't understand the people who are losing their minds, and I guess it's just, uh, that they're like, they can't, they must stand. <laughs> That's why I see in the Connor O'Malley tweet where it was like me and 50 of my uncles standing in a garage saying, they must stand. I'm like, what? <laughs> How their your life must be pretty horrible if that's like if you're just so obsessed with the idea of like well no you have to stand for the flag it's like it's a thirty second song that that and they're just making a point like there it's but not- I mean yeah no I I. I- feel the same way. I think that uh, this gets to the heart of what I think secretly underlies a lot of like, you know, whether you're conservative or Democrat, or, you know, or whether you whether you find yourself as a progressive or a sort of retrograde is that, first of all, there's a there's a racist element of it, which yeah, is that sure. like she these black people need to shut the fuck up about what they're complaining about and start yeah. getting to, you know, not abandoning their kids and stuff like that. Um, but the other so there's there's a racist element to it. But then there's also I think a lot of the you know, this, there's this idea of the disgust principle, which is that people that skew conservative are if you show them like a picture of like maggots or you know like a gory like, thing or yeah something. or if they're homophobic and they see two gay guys kissing or something they're yeah. more likely to like react like oh like recoil in in, in disgust uh than um than people who skew progressive because that's part of the sort of brain wiring that makes them uh, a little bit more open to new possibilities it's a theory yeah. i don't know if it's hard and fast but yeah but according to that theory it, it holds given that uh, in my experience it has been conservative people who like to see decorum maintained who don't like to be iconoclastic who generally prefer to not question authority you know all these impulses added to the sort of racist impetus um of uh, not wanting to see black people really do much of anything vocal um you know it probably accounts for that reaction it's not that they're uh, you know like for example it's why if you point out that not only did teams not take the field into you know until 2009 for this for the national anthem but a lot of the reason why they did was due to a very specific like line item recruitment program that the Pentagon ran with the you know NFL where they were get, they gave sports leagues like or I think they gave the NFL like almost oh, a yeah, million yeah. dollars over the course of a couple so of years do it, so to do flyovers yeah, and yeah. to host you know like reuniting with the family with the deployed troop you know all these optics uh, they were they were they, this was a specific program you can't mention all this stuff and have and have that solve the issue because the issue is fundamentally of decorum. Uh, versus, um, you know, decorum and black people just doing their jobs uh, versus, uh, you know, someone speaking out and black people being uppity. Yeah, and that's the thing that... What, that's what, always going to divide part of the American population. It's part, Yeah, and it's part of, actually, the, the conversation that I realized that... this When I realized this was far gone, I had a conversation with the person at the deli at where I was getting... I was getting deli meats, and the woman behind the counter, I was wearing a Jets shirt, and she was like, yeah, the, well, she wasn't saying the, about the players standing or kneeling, but she's like, these players get too, paid too much, and that's another argument I've heard where they're like, these millionaires will kneel for them, like... Wow, you really guys, you guys do, don't understand economics because, I mean, yeah, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and, well, who's now retired, but like Eli, the Eli Mannings, Tom Brady's and all that stuff in the world and the, the all-stars are for sure millionaires. But like if you did a modicum of research, you'd find out that the, like, the average NFL career length was like three years. If you're making league minimum salary for three years and you've destroyed your brain to make like what, maybe $500,000, uh, uh, like then, and then you got to figure out what to do with the rest, the other yeah, forty to sixty. It's a years fair point. Life. I mean, you know, like yeah. that's you know, like that's uh, and you've you've only focused solely on working essentially probably hundred to hundred twenty hour weeks to get that one job, and now you're not eligible to play anymore. Like they're not they're not these like they're not just like high flying fluting millionaires. Sure, some of them are, but it's it's they like like they have to like oh they're they're just they're just so lucky. They're so privileged. I'm like actually. Look, if you watch the ESPN 30 for 30 broke, you would know better. <laughs> it takes half an hour to watch it. <laughs> you yeah, find out that certainly not 60% the... of players are broke by the time they're out of the league for two years. 
Uh, but anyway, yeah, so. it, it's it, it it is frustrating that they're that they're cast with that, that aspersion. They're not that rich. Uh, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that. And but that, but that's a thing. That's another argument you hear from that where, side where they're yeah, like, well, look totally. at these these here's this they're group privileged of, group to of do people it. That you know what? Yeah. There, there's this culture of we expect football players to we hold them to a different standard than we hold anyone else. Um, you're comparing uh, the. I mean, I agree with you, but you're comparing the, like their salary with. Um, you know, across all salary bands, you know, mm-hmm. like the, in reality, they're like definitely making a lot of money for a couple of years, but then that probably ends in most cases. It, the way that we culturally regard uh, athletes is, has to, much more to do with like, they can't, no, in nowhere else do we make people be that into their jobs. You know, yeah. like they have to be doing it out of some sort of loyalty or love or deeper, you know, passion. And like, if they're not, if they're just like Jay Cutlering it and they're like, yeah, I'm good at this. I do it for a paycheck. It's not seen as okay. So there's, there's this irrational sort of expectation we have that they should be part of this tra- sort of uh, psychically transcendent um, activity that is their true calling that they're, they're engaging in right now. And to sully that with, you know, social consciousness is in some circles seems seen as distasteful. And I, you know, I, I disagree with those people, but that's a good point about they don't make that much money. And, and so to put a wrap on that too, is that you brought up Jay Cutler. Did you see that they ran, the Dolphins ran a wildcat on Sunday and Jay Cutler was in the, thrown out in the wide receiver? I'm surprised he just didn't walk off the field. Yeah, they yeah, tried to run a wildcat. And you're, when you're in the wildcat, you're supposed standing to- cross arm. Yeah, he had his arms akimbo, just on his hips. Just smoking a cigarette. Yeah. Uh, smoking Jay. Uh, yeah, but like, I mean, well, can you imagine though? So I think that's Jay Cutler doing that. Imagine, uh, had like Deshaun oh Washington God. or something like done that. Like, you know what I mean? Deshaun like the, Watson, the, yeah. Uh, what's him? Oh yeah, Watson, the guy. Who, yeah, that uh, would be, no, never, or Cam Newton. Oh my God. Yeah, people would have lost their minds, but that's another point where it's, Well, that's like, you yeah. know, Travis Kelsey did something that was almost identical to what Cam Newton did a couple years ago and Cam Newton got like penalized for it. You yeah. Know? We were like, remember when Ed Hockley told Cam Newton, like, you're not old enough to get that call and it was like a blatant like sideline hit. Uh, and it's <laughs> like, yeah. I wonder why. Yeah, exactly. And Ed Hockley just continued to uh, bench press like 500,000 pounds. <laughs> there was also a study a couple years ago about uh, NBA players uh, getting that were black getting uh, penalized or they, they were f- called for fouls more often. So I don't know. Maybe that, I don't know. A lot of the white players at that time were just like perimeter shooters though too. So yeah. anyway, all right. Well, you know, kind of solving some problems. Yeah. Well, th- that, that was your nationalized conversation. <laughs> nationalized conversation. So uh, let's do an outro of uh, another little, little shot of Tom Petty. R.I.P. R.I.P. Tom. Yeah, R.I.P. Tom. Uh, I only know like two of your songs because I'm a horrible music fan. Well, mm-hmm. there's, <laughs> you got a lot of time to catch up on the rest of them because they stopped making them. Yeah, nice. Um, there you go. I'll become a, a posthumous fan. Tasteful jokes. We got tasteful jokes for days here. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, as always, thanks for listening. You know, thanks for bearing with us in our week off. We took our first week yeah, we off took in a week 14 yeah, weeks. That was pretty good. Well, I was eager we, to get back. I hope the shakes, uh, takes, shakes and takes feel. We got shakes in, man. You got, I got shakes in, man. That are recharged. Uh, uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks for sticking with us. And, uh, we will see you next week. On the license. See you next license, baby. My old man was born to rob. He's still trying to beat the clock. Think of me what you will. I've got a little space to fill. Join this head on down the road. The 
somewhere I gotta go 